0: This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight. Overcoming Our Culture's War on the American Family. Written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician, Dr. Ben Carson. Available now, everywhere you get audiobooks.
1: Vincent Van Gogh spent decades perfecting his impressionist style. You can master it in one minute. With the new AI art generator called Dali. Do we even need artists anymore? It's device and virtue. Well, hey, welcome back to Season 8 of Device and Virtue, where we argue the wrongs and rights of technology and faith in everyday life. We're coming to you from Chicago. I'm Chris. And
2: I'm Adam. Hey, Chris. Today, we are talking about the AI artist known as Dali. Ooh, Dali. <laughs> <laughs> not Wally, and not Salvador Dali, but E. <laughs> you gotta spell it out.
1: This is the Artificial Intelligence image generator that is taking the world by storm because you can type in a phrase yeah any phrase and it spits out the image that you describe right with like incredible accuracy right you can create all
2: sorts of new images that have never before been created never before seen based on whatever prompt or caption you want to put in Okay,
1: I'm going to love this. Lots of thoughts about what this means for artists, originality, technology. Yeah. What happens when you can make unique art
2: all the time? But first, this is season eight, Adam. Right. Welcome. I'm so glad. <laughs> oh, welcome to you. Chris, we've made it eight seasons together arguing. Hey, don't count your chickens. It's seven seasons. We're just starting the right, age, would right. right Well, we're still friends. So
1: seven seasons is a very good number. <laughs> for us, it's like fall and there's fall leaves out right now. Yep. And so for me, that feels like blooming into new color. This is what we're doing
2: with this season, right? <laughs> yes. And last season, we launched our new Patreon Man, this has been cool. It's been really encouraging. We've gotten a bunch of supporters who have said, "Hey, we want to support you and what you're doing." And that's just made it easier for us to do
1: We want to support you doing obscure <laughs> late-night research on technologies and then uh, <laughs> and then telling us about it over a latte. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly.
2: And we've had fun, and I'm super excited too because we had uh, a top-tier supporter come in this season and he asked to go by his gamer tag which is Hollyfect. Thank you, Hollyfect. So if. For your support. Yeah. If you're out playing the games with the kids and you run into Hollyfect, thank him for supporting <laughs> us on.
1: For for the mission, really. And and I mean, I'm making jokes, but I think our mission is to try to like decipher the world, right? That we live (laughs) in. technology isn't just like a tech topic. And so we can do a tech podcast for people that aren't necessarily tech people to try to think about what are the rights and wrongs? What are the ethics of what's happening in the world around us from smartphones to everything? And so this is super important. I'm really appreciating the people that also think it's important for us to be out there trying to have the conversation. Yeah.
2: If you're one of those people and you want to join us on this mission, patreon.com slash device and virtue, or just go to device So
1: let's talk about the Dali, the artist. Did you do this this morning? Because I, did. I <laughs> created an account. So this Dali 2.0 product is a, just a, it's a website. I mm-hmm. think they're going to turn it into an app, but it's, it's really an artificial intelligence neural net. Right. That really has a Google-like prompt, right? Like there's just a box and it says, type in something. Right. You type it in, it thinks, and it does really have to think for a minute. It's not as fast as Google takes. And then it pops up on the screen four images of exactly what you wrote in, which is sort of remarkable. We have not really been able to do this before.
2: Yeah. The current iteration just became available to the public within the last month or so. Right. And so that's why it is taking people by storm and it is changing the face of art and graphic design and the images you see today may
1: not be images that ever existed in the real world. Because it's putting them together for the first time in front of our eyes and I made one for you, Adam.
2: (laughs) Sweet. Well, I also made one for you. I actually made a bunch but I'll show you just one.
1: I'm going to show you this one and by the way, um, I will link right in the notes so I think on your phone you should be able to click a link over to the blog post where we post some of these images because we'll do that, right? Yeah, yep. You'll do that, right? (laughs) (laughs) I I think the AI will do it. So I'm going to show you this image that I made and I'd just like you to, to describe... What do you think you're seeing in this image? Okay. Okay. So I'm seeing what looks to be like a
2: cat wearing a tuxedo and a top hat, a penguin wearing a yellow top hat, <laughs> an ice cream cone that is like hyper-colored, yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. all on a st- stone walkway and behind them is this beautiful green grass with a jeffersonian monticello looking building with greek
1: roman columns (laughs) there's a rock i mean is is anyone is anyone following this i I talked to my niece this morning and she told me what to type in so i typed typed in fantastic an orange cat wearing a tuxedo Mm. and a top hat Sitting next to a penguin on the lawn of the White House. Okay. She, lives, she lives in DC. It, it does. It definitely looks like the eating White an House. ice cream cone with sprinkles. <laughs> <laughs> so this is what so, she asked me to type in, Didelly, and it spit out. Yeah. Uh, sort of an orange cat wearing a tuxedo <laughs> with the top hat sitting next to a penguin on the lawn of the White House eating an ice cream cone with sprinkles.
2: That's fantastic. <laughs> I would vote for that cat. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I also made an image and you're going to get this pretty easily. Here, I'll show it to you and you can
1: describe it. Oh gosh. This looks like two guys talking on a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) There's two guys with both with big headphones on, two microphones, one person is gesticulating and there's coffee and a laptop.
2: It's just us sitting in this room. Right. So the prompt was two males Hosting a podcast arguing the wrongs and rights of technology and faith in everyday life, but I want you to look at all four and notice that they are all middle-aged men. Oh, no, (laughs) they're all white men. Oh no. <laughs> and they all have brown hair and they are all in the same position like they're surrounding like a single microphone and they're very close together. We're not that close together. They tagged right us right now.
1: Uncomfortably perfectly.
2: I mean it's it is uncomfortably close. <laughs> we'll definitely post it. Yeah, the guy gesticulating has like multiple joints in his thumb that shouldn't be there, but other than that it's uh it's pretty spot on.
1: <laughs>
0: Let's talk about how this works.
1: But first, actually, let me just play you this clip from the company itself or the nonprofit itself. It's called OpenAI. Mm -hmm. And they have a little clip here talking about how Dolly works.
3: Have you ever seen a polar bear playing bass or a robot painted like a Picasso? Didn't think so. Dolly 2 is a new AI system from OpenAI that can take simple text descriptions like a koala dunking a basketball and turn them into photorealistic images that have never existed before. Dolly, 2 can also realistically edit and retouch photos. Based on a simple natural language description, it can fill in or replace part of an image with AI-generated imagery. Dolly was created by training a neural network on images and their text descriptions. Through deep learning, it not only understands individual objects, like koala bears and motorcycles, but learns from relationships between objects. And when you ask Dolly for an image of a koala bear riding a motorcycle, it knows how to create that or anything else with a relationship to another object or action. The Dolly research has three main outcomes. First, it can help people express themselves visually in ways they may not have been able to before. Second, an AI-generated image can tell us a lot about whether the system understands us or is just repeating what it's been taught. Third, Dolly helps humans understand how AI systems see and understand our world. This is a critical part of developing AI that's useful and safe. Given a picture of a monkey, Dolly can infer what it would look like doing something it's never done before, like paying its taxes while wearing a funny hat. Dolly is an example of how imaginative humans and clever systems can work together to make new things, amplifying our creative potential.
2: So OpenAI has scraped the internet essentially for images and captions related to those images in order to build this database. And they've pulled billions, literally yeah, like billions a, a tons, of images. Right, right. It's like five, ten billion images to build the AI system that's generating all of the images that we're creating.
1: And then like we've talked about this a lot before, but they train it. Right. They like tell it like this is a picture of a plane. Right. And, over,
2: over and over and over. Right, but they don't have to train it because they can say, this This picture is associated with this caption. L- look at this caption and look at all the words from this caption and associate it with that image. And next time you see that word, maybe there's something from that image that should be created. And so it looks for these patterns right. between the captions and the images. And then it decides, okay, these are the labels that apply to that image. And based on that, all right, now we're going to take a brand new caption that nobody has ever created before where it's got a cat, a penguin, and a ice <laughs> nice cream with sprinkles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And right. we're going to just find all the th- patterns that are in that and create something that looks
1: like that. We've talked about GPT-3 and mm-hmm. 2, which are these writing AIs, right? But right. when we talked about last season where a Google engineer thought that it was sentient, essentially yeah, like yeah. was coming to life because it was so good at having a conversation. Yeah. And that was an AI that was trained on essentially just conversation, language, right. I right. guess, right? natural
2: language processing.
1: And this one combines the natural language processing with images and yeah. so it like it takes in this text but spits out an image yep which is insane right yeah. it's combining these two things
2: yeah so it's transforming it from one kind of media to another kind of media
1: i was reading about on their website they were talking about that artificial intelligence has been evolving and they were saying that originally we thought that solving certain tasks with AI, such as chess was their example, Okay, would help us discover how to create human-like intelligence. Oh, okay. But it turned out that they say the solution to each task turned out to be a whole lot less general than you were hoping. Like you could create a computer that did a really amazing job at doing chess, but that was not <laughs> right. leading to like what we think of as this magical computer that knows everything. Yeah. And then we started getting into this deep learning phase where we started realizing we cannot... Teach it all the chess moves right instead you have to do what you're talking about you don't do any code at all you create these architectures and you hand them all this data and let them figure it out right yep. which starts getting scary and a little weird <laughs> so this involves pattern recognition but starts getting into this idea of general intelligence mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. someone that can just react to our world like a human can like yeah.
2: all sorts of general yeah. intelligence while it's aspiring to general intelligence The fact is these AI systems are learning from billions of images to identify what a cat is or what a dog is or what a penguin or a ice cream with sprinkles is. Whereas you show a child 5, 10, 20 images of a cat of all kinds, and then you're looking at a hand-drawn picture book, they can pick out a cat pretty easily. A child can. A child can. Yeah, yeah. They don't need billions of images. Yeah. Yeah. There's a big difference.
1: You're saying it's doing the same thing as a kid, but a human still do this faster and yes, better. Yes, exactly. Right. And it's how we learn already. Right. And so it may achieve
2: some imitation of general intelligence, but it's going to do it in different ways. And we've taken thousands of years of knowledge and the smartest engineers on the planet to create a system that still needs billions of images to do that. But it's still crazy impressive. It is. Absolutely. It's super
1: impressive. I have lots of questions, including let's talk about could this replace artists in general? Yeah. What does this have to do with human creativity, uniqueness and individuality? <laughs> but first, let's talk a little bit more about this nonprofit group and examine why are they doing this. So have open AI, it's a nonprofit, not a company, and you like to talk a lot about what companies creating these technologies. Yeah. what are their motivations? Yeah, like this yeah. is always your favorite angle. I'm like <laughs> whatever. Like let's just try it. But this is an interesting one, so I wanted you to tell me what you thought about this. Mm-hmm. One, they are a nonprofit. They say on their website, they say our goal is to advance digital intelligence. Okay, okay, okay. In the way that is most likely to benefit humanity as a whole. All right unconstrained by the need to generate financial return. So okay. they're trying to say they're not motivated by profit, right? right? And that they want to attempt to directly build a safe and beneficial artificial general intelligence, which by the way, they abbreviate AGI. So mm-hmm. this whole general intelligence idea, but we'll also consider our mission fulfilled if our work just aids others to achieve this outcome. Yeah. What do you think
2: about this nonprofit motivation? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, nonprofits, still have financial responsibilities. They need to have income in some form or fashion. So they are beholden to that logic on some level. But I think more interesting to me is they say, to advance digital intelligence in a way that's most likely to benefit humanity as a whole. Who's deciding what that benefit is and who should benefit? There's going to be broad definitions of what's going to benefit humanity. Is that that it's going to reduce climate change or that it's going to reduce poverty or that it's going to put a stick in the spoke of capitalism?
1: You know, I don't know. (laughs) Like, It's really interesting. They talk about economics in here because they say their definition of this General intelligence. Okay. They say by which we mean here it is highly autonomous systems that outperform humans at most economically viable work. They're like, we think that we will generate a general intelligence that essentially is smarter than humans at doing work and can replace humans so that we can move to the world
2: of Wally where everybody's on spaceships floating around on lazy boy hoverboards. Can I just say I get Wally in that emotions movie mixed up? <laughs>
1: you know what i'm talking about
2: one- i mean there's emotions in both of them but yes but it's like uh, the one
1: with joy is like the lead character and there's inside yeah yeah, yeah, yeah i'm yeah. always like cause they're, i don't know they're all little cartoon characters doing doing yeah, bouncing yeah. around the screen yeah, this like- is not this is
2: not inside out no wally ends with anyways we're not going to go to
1: that <laughs> i was excited about you describing wally but yeah yeah fine. yeah in a world where like, humans don't work, I guess, there's like we're trying to create AI that in the future still benefits humans, even if we weren't working? Right. And I think as Christians, we would say that is
2: not a future picture of human flourishing. A future where humans don't work is not
1: a picture of what God wants for the world or for the people that he's made. But what about a future where humans aren't quote unquote working, but are creating? Because that would be. And mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I saw that side. Yeah. Right? But creating to what end? There's suddenly no. Well, for like joy, like doing, like planting a garden, like can Mm -hmm. be there are subsistence farmers in the world that are planting food so they can eat and their family can eat and if it doesn't work they are starving right and then there's that's a motive right and then there are like gardeners in the city that like are planting gardens so it's pretty like they can go down the street to the grocery store to an Albertsons and buy tomatoes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but they grow tomatoes in their backyard for creation and
2: so, perhaps it could benefit people who create podcasts but don't get paid for them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm just saying, like, they're, they're like have this vision of humanity. And it's really interesting to me that they talk about benefiting humanity on yeah. those statements. They have this picture of this beautiful world, I guess, in the future that they're going to create.
2: Yeah. And I think we need to have a robust theology of work. I, I take your point. Like, does work simply mean creativity or does it mean that the means by which we work? achieve an end that somehow both serves our own true needs of food, shelter and love and not just like feeds our desire to be creative and generate podcasts and gardens
1: <laughs> in gardens. <laughs> I think you showed me that like when this was first founded in 2015 Elon Musk yeah. founder of tesla was one of the co-founders on the board right. i don't know if they still are yep. but it was a very impressive group of like ai scientists right like a lot of names oh that, yeah not, not a lot of household names i had to look up a bunch of them but almost all of them were advanced experts in the field right and so they like, got together a pretty impressive team and they say we believe that ai should be an extension of individual human will yeah that's super fascinating Maybe we should come back to that in our theological reflections. But they're saying as a scientist team, this is what AI is an extension of human will. And it goes on. And in the spirit of liberty, of freedom, as broadly and evenly distributed as possible. So they're trying to say mm-hmm. maybe the rich don't mm-hmm. get richer, even mm-hmm. though we all know Elon Musk is pretty mm-hmm. dang richest rich. in the world, right? Yeah. They have these very altruistic goals. Yeah. Well, I
2: do prefer calling artificial intelligence extended intelligence, I think artificial is is not as great a word as extended would be. That said, I think every technology we create is an extension of the individual human will on some level. And it extends our volition, it, it extends our capacity to do things. So on that level, AI isn't the only one that has a corner on that market of extending our human will.
1: That actually leads to our next question. Does artificial intelligence, does Dolly the artist replace the human artist?
0: This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Nine Lives and Counting, a bounty hunter's journey to faith, hope, and redemption, written by Dwayne Dog the Bounty Hunter Chapman. Nine Lives and Counting not only offers a fresh perspective on well-known life events, but also ventures into behind the scenes territory and backstories never shared publicly nine lives and counting is available everywhere audiobooks are sold visit thomasnelson.com slash audio to learn more
1: have you seen that show they're like it's the van gogh immersive experience oh yeah i like. went to it like last year or something it was Wait, great i i also did i feel embarrassed why? For, well, because I thought like, oh, this is such a nerdy thing. And so we at the Art Institute in Chicago have real Van Goghs. <laughs> I like how you say we, like you work at it's, the Art Institute. I know, I know. I definitely don't. <laughs> I just go there. But we have one of Van Gogh's bedrooms. He painted these three famous paintings. Yeah. And of course, he's the same person that did Starry Night, Sunflowers, and all these other very famous. Surprisingly, how many he created. Yeah. And he lives in the late 1800s. And he's a really fascinating figure. But I did see the 3D immersive one, and they projected on screens all around you and it's sort of cool right on
2: all four sides of you I mean it's like four-dimensional
1: yeah and there's like music with it and you're like feel like you're sitting inside the painting and it's like cool and they do some of the art and they also somewhat tell the story of his life he paints all these self-portraits he's famous for you know Mm -hmm. has the red hair and reddish Mm -hmm. beard Mm -hmm. but I love going to the art institute and looking at the bedroom which is greenish and looks a little bit off balance like you know the perspective on it's weird like there's like a single bed right you've seen this painting and there's a side table and Uh there's some floor Flowers, and there's a window, but it all looks like you're dreaming it. And I think it's sort of a sad painting. And when you start looking into Van Gogh's personal story, it's really sad. It's tragic for sure. He goes up in the Netherlands, but he moves to Paris to do art. And then he starts struggling with his mental health. And people called him crazy near the end of life, but he moves to this little coastal town in France. And tries to get some other famous artists to move there with him to do an artist collective. Gauguin like actually shows up for like a little while and lives with him and thinks, and he was like, this guy's too insane to live with. For real. <laughs> yeah.
2: Doesn't really work.
1: But yeah. they they actually have a, there's this whole story. They have a fight and he winds up cutting off part of his ear. Like yeah, his he's ear. Deep depression. Maybe psychosis. Yeah. And sending it to this girl. Like, mm. and he gets committed to an insane asylum. And all during this period is when like some of his most famous paintings he's yeah. making. Right. Yeah, Yeah. And. I learned that that bedroom painting, the one we have in Chicago, was the second time he did it. And he was not in his bedroom at that point. He had this little house. He loved Mm -hmm. it. It was called the Yellow House. He was like, finally, I'm home. But then he went sort of crazy. He went to the insane asylum, and he paints this bedroom from the sketches in his memory of what it was like to be in the bedroom Mm -hmm. where he felt Mm -hmm. at home. Mm -hmm. And that's a hauntingly sad picture for me. So when I look at this bedroom, I imagine him in the insane asylum painting this place where he thinks i felt like home there yeah and that for me is like part of the art like it's part of like understanding that story is part of the art yeah like i take people to the art institute and i tell them stories about different paintings i can tell stories about like trulus the trek which by the way who knew van gogh Mm -hmm. and other artists and monet and and it's fun to know the stories behind the paintings you immediately start learning so much more and dali this whole artist thing, yeah, it's got none of that. You literally, it's an artificial intelligence churning out an image, <laughs> and I can see someone saying, well, gosh, if this can create these amazing images. I mean, you can just type in, like, give me a picture of mountains, an impressionist painting, yeah, and right. it creates a completely original work right, right there in right. front of you right. in seconds. And is that going to be art in the future? And we go, well, no, it's instant. It needs time. But I think even the biggest thing is it doesn't have any human story to mm. it, and that's what we love mm. about art right
2: yeah the origins of the art the story behind the art even I think just like the sweat blood and tears that go into the art the provenance the, <laughs> yes yeah. but also the the artist's own skill and yeah, yeah. yeah you know Van Gogh starts with very dull yellows and browns he actually ad- adopts new colors, new pigmentation, because like the technology is developing with within paint. By the way, we've shifted from a technology podcast to, <laughs> to an, an art, art criticism.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know we both knew him this much. We'll about get it.
2: back to your regularly scheduled podcast soon. <laughs> but yeah, he's adapting these new styles, these new technical abilities with his art, and he's using those. And like that becomes part of his skill set that he then creates the very impressionist style that he's so known for. right? Yeah. And that is so important to what art is. And it represents something about the human spirit, something about the artist, something that we hope is in all of us in some way. And it represents the creativity you mentioned.
1: When I pulled up Dolly, mm-hmm. I was thinking about Van Gogh with the stories. And so I told Dolly to create some things in the style of Van oh, Gogh. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I was actually trying to get it to do, I wasn't successful, to do Van Gogh's bedroom with a guy lying in the bed wearing sunglasses. That's what I... <laughs> Like it didn't work out. No, it wasn't doing it, but I think actually there are some advanced features. They have this new thing called infilling, or yeah, yeah, it's a new feature they just released on this. I mean, it's a brand new product anyway, but I'm gonna try that again later. And so, if I get that working, I will post that. So, they'll take an
2: existing image and then you can like blank out part of it and it'll add something if you ask. But
1: I mean, I think it's ironic and a little sad that I can create a Van Gogh. By just typing in Van Gogh, right? What happens in the future when like I'm saying in the style of Van Gogh, but that's because there was this human that created this whole epic. I mean, he died when he was 38, but he has this whole style and personality that happened. And now I have to use his reference to tell Dali to do something. (laughs) Um, But what happens if like we get so far away from human artists that you don't have that reference, like mm-hmm, Dali in the mm-hmm. style of Dali, yeah. like oh, well, yeah, yeah, Salvador, Salvador Dali, that'd be cool. I, oh, <laughs> we should do some of those, shouldn't we? Salvador Dali would be yeah. a great thing to pump in there. Yeah. Well,
2: so that's interesting because w- one of the first encounters I had with Dali was actually with, wait for it, Cosmo magazine, and I was watching. <laughs> I I, it's going to get really classic. Which, which really Adam fast. was reading in his preteen years. <laughs> so, so it was taking uh, little quizzes about how to date. <laughs> But I learned about it on TikTok. See, we're getting really <laughs> shallow really fast. He is a teenager. Okay. Uh, so I was watching TikTok about Cosmo, but it was a graphic designer telling her story about how she had pitched Cosmo to create the first cover using dolly okay and so she's going to create the magazine cover but use the artificial intelligence right so she uses dolly and she says i wrote in hundreds of different prompts i looked at thousands of different images yeah all to find this exact image and we'll link to it in the show notes but she creates this one image that they feel like represents the ethos of cosmo magazine and you'll have to take a look at it. But what's interesting connected to what you're saying is okay, she's a graphic designer, she's an artist, but it's really like her story that I connect to when I'm hearing about her encounter with Dolly. She's using Dolly to generate all this, but it's the provenance of her work. And she's working with Dolly. She's taking Dolly as the new technology in the same way that. Van Gogh did, adapting the technology and creating something. And there's a human element. The interesting part of the story is a human
1: using that to create the art. Yeah. But like to create the art, meaning think of phrases to say. Right. Or trying it out over and over until she gets the one she wants. Right. And that's
2: what's interesting is she really focuses on how she has to home in on the exact language, the exact caption and prompt
1: to get it just right. You know, it's almost like the question then is, is Dolly more like a new artist or is Dolly like a new paintbrush? Mm. Because she's using Dolly as a tool, mm-hmm. an art tool. Mm-hmm. And we have lots to say on the word tool when it comes to technology. But she's using it as a tool to create a vision that she has. Sure. She clearly is rejecting some things going, that's not it. Yeah. That's yeah, not it. Yeah. That's not it. I have to have it. And so her brain is interacting with that. She has a vision, yeah. It's a different, but maybe it is like a painter. I was in New Orleans last week, and there was just a guy painting on the street, and like mm-hmm. he's pulling paint off the palette and touching it up. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there are times when he puts paint on a thing, goes, that's wrong, and then changes it. Mm-hmm. And the paint and the paintbrush and the canvas are a tool.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, and it absolutely is changing the relationship of the artist to their art. They have to become language experts they almost have to become an author or an editor on some level to dial in that really precise language to speak the language of the ai in order to get the ai to capture the vision that she had in this case that makes total sense especially like
1: you have to get operator knowledge Yeah, especially in this early phase Mm -hmm. when like I mean there was a couple images I tried to create oh I tried to create Adam and Eve wearing headphones (laughs) that was gonna be the one I showed you originally actually because I was like I thought Adam that's your name I'm gonna create Adam and Eve wearing headphones okay it gave me one that was good but it gave me several that were not that good and I had to redo it a couple times Mm -hmm. to get it Mm -hmm. there and so I was learning right there how to use it better essentially
2: well and even Even OpenAI itself says, hey, longer specific descriptions tend to work best. So they're training you in the same way that you think you're creating this art and developing it yourself. It's training you to talk to it in a certain way as well. And so the artist is being trained in a certain way to use the tools that are put in front of them. So
1: maybe we're saying that human artists do matter in this whole process. This is just a new layer in the way artists make art. What if we go to a museum in the future and... It still has all the artist credits around, but the medium is Dolly. Like, you know how it says on a plaque, oh, yeah, it'll say the name of yeah. the work, and then it says like mixed oil media oil on canvas yeah. or mixed media, and then it says the name of the artist. Mm-hmm. Maybe we're not saying that Dolly is in the artist slot, we're saying that it's in the middle slot. Yeah, yeah, the medium is Dolly. Uh huh. Yeah, that's interesting. I have one more point, and that's what if the artist doesn't matter at all? There's this sort of, some more theology, philosophy nerds will know the name of Roland Barth, and he's a guy that wrote this article called The Death of the Author. Ooh, that sounds like a mystery. (laughs) (laughs) And it could also be retitled The Death of the Artist in this case, Mm. I think. Like, a big question is, is art communication? And a lot of people walk up to a piece of Mm -hmm. art and go, what was the artist trying to say with Mm -hmm, this? mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, right? Maybe you have that personal backstory, but also, like, what was the artist? I'm thinking more about what was the artist putting in the painting that's supposed to communicate things to us. Yeah, yeah. And that's how I got taught things originally. Like there might be a symbol in there that like matters, mm-hmm. or maybe we're just seeing a scene that they mm-hmm. liked and we're seeing it through their eyes. And when we understand the message, then you understand the art. you right, know. Right. And then a lot of art critics and like literature critics and Roland Barthes and Stanley Fish and some other people being some of them started saying, wait, it's not all about the original intent of the author right. or the original intent of the artist. That's right. not how you understand art. It's actually about the reader or the viewer. Like, mm-hmm. what are you feeling or what are you understanding from right. this? Yeah. And this creates a major turn in all art and literature, right? Mm-hmm. This is, happens like all during the 20th century. And he doesn't even want to call the person an author anymore. He wants to call them a scriptor. And he says an okay. author indicates authority But authors are just sort of doing what Dali is doing. What do you mean by that? Dali is taking all these images from Google and culture and putting them together and spitting something back out that it learned from human culture. Okay. He's saying any author writing a book is actually not writing this blank canvas of their own ideas. Right. They're putting out... All the things that they learned growing up from culture, right, from their right. family. It's almost inevitable. They're just putting into everything together and just putting it out there for us, but that was what society would have put out there anyway, right? You're right. So it's kind of like a mashup. Like the the
2: artist or the author is mashing together different ideas and maybe producing something else. They're standing on the shoulders of predecessors right. and they're taking these ideas, you know. And even memes are doing that, right? They're taking existing oh, good pieces call. and yeah. they're they're putting it into a new context or they're adding a new caption or whatever and they're creating this mashup of these two things and dolly you're saying is doing much the same thing taking billions of images and billions of captions and then taking in something that we give it and mashing together all these different ideas
1: yeah maybe the computer and the human process isn't that different yeah
2: <laughs> So going back to the analogy of the AI system learning versus a child learning, what a cat is like, the AI system is doing it on this massive billion image scale, the child does it on, you know, the scale of a 20 to 30 images of a cat or just the encounter or, with a real cat. A cat walk around the living room. <laughs> exactly. right, yeah. And in this case, Dolly has mashed up all these images and it's mashing together every image of a cat that it's ever found that's been identified in a caption. Whereas a human might have a range where they're producing it out of a limited awareness of different images of what a cat is or whatever the case may be.
1: Yeah, and then even with the kid learning about the cat... They learned about it from that the name came from their parents and the topic came from the created world right Mm -hmm. in front of them, like Mm -hmm. a cat, like God created the cat. And so they, they're limited to that. They don't learn unicorns from walking around. They just, maybe just in a picture book, like where things come from, I know it feels like a mind game, but where the art comes from winds up being like less important than the person that's viewing the art. Mm. And then this philosopher, Stanley Fish starts saying, yeah, essentially meaning comes down to the community of viewers. Like if Mm -hmm. everyone looks at that and goes, that looks like a bird to me, then it's a bird. It doesn't matter what the original artist, if they're painting a bird, yeah. say they were throwing paint at a canvas and this happens and then everyone says, oh, that looks like this. Let's say they, someone made a piece of toast and everyone's like, it's the Virgin Mary. <laughs> if everyone thinks, yeah, that is the Virgin Mary, then, yeah. then yeah. the art is the Virgin Mary in that sense. <laughs> and you see how the meaning shifts from the author yeah. or from the artist over to the viewer or the reader And this gets really problematic when it comes to doing texts and interpreting things. But when it comes to Dali, I just think it asks this question, the source of the image becomes less important and more becomes important like the group of people seeing a certain image okay maybe it's Mm -hmm. created by an artificial intelligence Mm -hmm. but if we all think it's amazing or if it all evokes something in us or if it all seems to represent something that's important to us then we might put it in an art museum and it will not matter who what the artist is on the plaque because everyone looking at it is like this is crazy Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I see the logic of that
2: argument. Did I say this is all called reader response theory, by the way? Because that's what this is. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. And I remember talking to an artist once and we got into this conversation. And I asked, what does it mean? Or, or what were you trying to say? And she's like, well, what does it mean to you? What's your reaction to yeah, it? Yeah, and I was yeah. just like, what are you talking about? That's not how I think about meaning. But her question challenged me. And I started thinking less about what is the artist trying to say? And more asking the question, what is the artist trying to do? And I think for me, that has opened yeah. up the question. And there's still meaning in that. Now you're getting to something called Speech Act with Austin and others. But anyway, oh, sorry. Okay. That's, that's well, a I
1: didn't know where I was going. But. <laughs> but yeah, like what is the artist trying to do?
2: Yeah. And and that's where that mashup happens. They're trying to blend this you know, art style with this understanding of the world or this conceptualization of photography or whatever it is. They're trying to do something. And for me, that opened up the range of meaning to, yeah, maybe they are trying to say something. They're trying to make a commentary. Like maybe Banksy is trying to comment on capitalism, but then there's an artist like Van Gogh, who's not trying to necessarily comment on capitalism, but he's got like the church at Auvers, which is called the church without doors when he's making a comment on religion But you wouldn't know that if you didn't really have a background understanding of what he's trying to do. And that's helped me to unpack art in general, and that's how I approach it. But
1: yeah, go ahead. Well, and this turns a big corner, which we're definitely not going to be able to do today, (laughs) which is interpretation of scripture and Christian scripture. Like, this Mm -hmm. is a big question there, because... We spend a lot of time, like, what is the Bible saying? What is the original author saying? Mm-hmm. Or what does it mean to the reader? No, definitely, like, the evangelical Christian is going to say the original author, like, right away. right? right. But, the, but there's actually, like... A mix that's called the two horizons. If anyone's been to seminary, okay, because what it means to us when we read it is part of the meaning of Mm -hmm. it and Mm -hmm. how it's received. Mm -hmm. And actually, whether you think this is an individual figuring it out or you think it's the church going, This is what this text has meant. Yeah. And then there's the question of what is the text trying to do, which is the same question you just asked. Yeah. And these actually do get real complicated. And so we say the source matters, but there are some Christians that spend all their time on like, trying to figure out the history of the phrase and trying to figure out the source, Mm -hmm. and that becomes the only way to look at the meaning. Just Mm -hmm. like, what was Van Gogh's mindset in doing this? But then... What is the viewer's or the reader's mindset also matters when we're looking at the text. And maybe a community, maybe not the individual, I think we'd say not any random one person should interpret the text themselves. But the community of the church does interpret the text together, and that does mean things.
2: Yeah, and I think when the artist puts something out there, that art piece then gets separated from the artist and takes on its own history like over time the painting of starry night has now had a history it's been in the hands of different owners and it has its own story and in the same way like yeah. scripture has been written and then has been interpreted throughout history and and Correct. we need to not only know what did the original author intend right. but also how has it been interpreted over the course of history, because that is actually creating some guardrails on either side of the interpretation right, to right. help us see it. And it takes on a life of its own in some sense in how it's being interpreted and how it's going forward
1: from its origins. Absolutely. I mean, the author might have said, greet each other with a holy kiss, and, <laughs> and they meant a holy kiss. yeah, But the church has said, well, no, that means greet each other in brotherly and sisterly love. Right. And, That's going to get interpreted. Today it's a holy hug. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Right, right, right. Uh,
2: Or a holy high five, or it's a fist bump, or, you know, if you're COVID distancing, it means something else, right? It's it's that
1: little weird thing where you cross your arms (laughs) and nod your head. Yeah, the holy head nod. (laughs) Well, definitely, I didn't know we were going to get into scriptural interpretation with the AI art, but there we are. Okay, obviously, if we were going to start talking about artificial intelligence, art generators, the first thing I thought of was Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> do you know uh, what I'm talking about? I, I do. La- I, my sister read or
2: watched them when I was a kid.
1: The Laura Ingalls Wilder books, there was like a set of nine of them, yeah, maybe seven. A actually. series, right? But I mean... Life on the Frontier. I mean, we were good Christian homeschool kids. We read those books. <laughs> and I have good memories of those books. <laughs> and this occurred to me yesterday when I was thinking about this. It's like frontier. Pure days, right? Ma and Pa and Laura and our sister and right. things. And they have to make their own clothes. They're building their own house, making their own clothes, getting maple syrup from the trees. <laughs> and occasionally, they would travel two days into a small town and buy some fabric. Oh, man. And then they'd sew a dress, you know? And okay. this was a big part of the story. And in one of the books, they go to school, and there's another kid that has a store-bought in and I think they say button, a store button bonnet. Ooh. And it was recognizably to little Laura not sewn at home. Huh. And it was made in a factory and it was wow. from back east. And I was thinking about like this is, fascinating because in the early days and for poorer people, of course everyone made their own clothes. Mm-hmm. And then we move to the Industrial Revolution comes along and we start making clothes in factories. But for mm-hmm. a time that's the rich people's clothes. That's from New York. It's the luxury Clothes item. that have been made by machine is really the luxe. Because it costs a lot of money to get a machine right. to make a piece of clothing. And I think later in the series, Laura gets a dress. That's her fanciest dress she only wears on special occasions huh. and it's made in a factory, right? Huh. So this is the techn- technology changes and that becomes the rich thing then of course today we laugh at that it's cute and it's quaint because to buy a copied item i can go to target and buy an identical t-shirt and see like 17 other people around town wearing that (laughs) t-shirt right right, you know like we just mass produce clothes and like it's cheap and it's efficient and now if you're rich you have custom made clothes right like a rich person might have all their clothes custom made i've had one suit Made and it wasn't completely custom, it's just nicely it was like tailored. tailored, and that was yeah. like an expensive thing for me to do, right? Yeah. And so, you don't typically have custom clothing unless you're rich. This is gonna change, right? Because suddenly we're going to a Dali situation, and I'm mm-hmm. talking about manufacturing, I'm talking about physical objects. Maybe we're not there yet, but mm-hmm. with the Dali world, somehow we can create unique things, yeah, almost on an assembly line. Yeah, what happens when the custom custom clothing becomes common Ooh. <laughs> when everything is unique. Yeah. I mean, I could imagine a day
2: where Dolly is connected to things like 3d printing. Yes. I was just thinking that or, or to something like a manufacturing line that is manufacturing clothes and you could literally have it. So a unique piece because it's all just In the system to create whatever you're looking for, which is insane, right? Which sounds amazing and cool and futuristic and sounds really cool to me, right? So there's these clothing companies right now that will mail you a custom kind of collection for you, yeah, for you. But that's the thing because they're sending
1: that same collection, yeah, they're sending that same collection
2: to a bunch of people. But like the innovative company will be the one that has the mass manufacturing and can custom clothes. For anybody who orders them. But to your point, like suddenly uniqueness is being mass produced and everyone can have their own thing, but also you can mass produce this art, right? And anyone can become an artist in the style of Van
1: Gogh. Yeah. So the question for me is like, in the future, what is the rich thing to do? Yeah. If uniqueness is ordinary, Mm -hmm. what's valuable? What does the future look like in 50 years if we have this? And maybe we do get to the point where we're generating physical objects. Like I want a dining room table that looks like this. And a custom wood dining table is this thing like if I'm going to have a Vermont Woodcutter make this thing. <laughs> that's expensive stuff. Now right. you're like, I'm going to go spend twenty thousand dollars on a table. Whereas right. if I go down to IKEA, it's a hundred bucks. Yeah. But what if we can create these things? What do we value in the future? Yeah. No, I think that's a fascinating
2: question. And as we were planning for this episode, I ran across uh, a passage in a book that I was reading called The Extended Mind. Ooh. It's a fantastic book. Definitely recommend it. The subtitle is The Power of Thinking Outside the Brain. But in the book, the author, she talks about how originality and uniqueness came to be a prized value. And she says it started with the philosophical group called the Romantics in the late 1700s. And they're reacting to two things, she says. One is industrialization. Okay. So mass production, everything gets mass produced. And they're saying, well, in a culture of mass production, now uniqueness is the thing to value where everything can be stamped out, everything can be mass-produced, there's nothing valuable in the mass production anymore. So let's pursue uniqueness and creativity. And the other aspect was the printing press. And that wasn't so much about mass production as it was about the mass production of ideas. So suddenly all of these masterworks from Greeks romans and the early church fathers all of their ideas are getting disseminated en mass to people and so the romantics react to that and say well we want to come up with our own original ideas so not only is it producing original goods but it's also producing original ideas and so this value of originality becomes penultimate and she says innovation climbed to the top of the cultural value system and so it just demonstrates the ways that our own values are in reaction to industrialization, the printing press, these technologies. Yeah. And in the same way now, like you're asking, okay, Dali is creating originality in mass and we can have originality anytime we want, in any way we want. How will we react to that? Maybe starting with the philosophers like it did with romantics, how will we react to this cult of originality and... Will we go back to saying like, oh, maybe I just want to wear all black?
1: Yeah, like create simplicity against complexity maybe. Mm-hmm. Or maybe like I imagine this world where people have two identically produced things that it's hard to do. Mm-hmm. And they have two parts of the world and they're perfectly in sync or something. And, and like somehow these two things are twins. And therefore, mm-hmm. because they have a perfect match, they're actually more valuable than mm-hmm. the uniqueness systems that... But I guess as I'm talking out loud, I'm realizing, well, we still have digital duplicity, the ability to make infinite copies without degradation. Yeah. And so we still have that. So maybe we wind up having an unprecedented time where we can literally do both. We can instantly create identical things continuously and we can create unique things continuously. And I don't know where it goes next.
2: Yeah. My sense is if you're thinking about a pendulum between mass duplication and pure originality and it's swinging between those, like, where it's swinging now is not in that pendulum. It's actually swinging in a third direction. And it's not between those two poles anymore. Yeah, multidimensional thinking. Yes, exactly. And so like, what's the value where you're in reaction to both mass production and originality or uniqueness? What is that value?
1: Well, that's the uniqueness thing. But I mean, like, I don't know. You have other things that you're imagining about the future with Dali? Yeah.
2: I think already you're seeing music videos that are being made with Dali so people are taking the lyrics from their songs and they're creating art and then they're creating videos out oh, of this wow and so it makes me start to think could books be automatically generated into movies could novels be turned into movies on demand almost like over time. Wow.
1: Because it can let us live take text and create.
2: Yeah. Instead of just creating static images, it could be creating dynamic images. Like it's not produce, the audio
1: book, it's the, it's the video book. It's
2: the video book. Yeah. <laughs> Dang. You know, you could create your own series of episodes and it could be different people creating their own versions. Maybe they tweak it in this way or that way. Well, yeah.
1: Everyone wanted to be unique in that sense. Yeah. It-
2: and I'm like, I just want to plug in this book and see what the movie would be like. Okay. That's a fascinating
1: imagination.
2: And and yeah, I've already seen podcasts. There's an AI podcast completely generated by AI. They had Joe Rogan interviewing Steve Jobs, who is no longer with us. Yeah. And so the two of them are going back and forth. It's kind of surreal. It's very like Salvador Dali in audio form. But Chris, we
1: could be out of a job in like no time. I mean, (laughs) yeah, that picture that it's going to generate of a podcast is not going to be two middle-aged white guys. It's going to be two computers talking (laughs) to each other. It's going to be two robots is right. With microphones, obviously. (laughs) And then I think if you go down a darker
2: route, there's, you know, personalized nudity, personalized gore. There's a lot of like much darker directions that Dolly and similar products
1: could go. Yeah, for sure. Well, Dolly said for the nonprofit that they've added these filters that blocks right. Right. nudity, that impersonating celebrities. Mm-hmm. So you can't create like the president looking and doing something, which is important. But there's already an announcement of another company... Of course,
2: there's always going to be.
1: That's saying we are going to create the same thing, but without filters and you can create anything you want. And so, yeah, I think you're right. People will create Mm -hmm. a lot of dark things.
2: And then they're going to produce them and they're going to publish them. And so, yeah,
1: there's a lot of
2: challenges on the horizon in both directions. Chris, on the topic of mass-produced uniqueness... I think one thing that comes to mind from a biblical perspective is procreation and how that is always a production, not a mass production, but on some level it is. I mean, (laughs) millions of people are being produced every day, (laughs) but they're all unique. Just like this generative art is creating all these unique versions every time. Humans were told to be fruitful and multiply, Hmm. and they've successfully fulfilled at least that mandate, and they've produced a lot of unique identities that have lots of mashups of features of their parents and their
1: grandparents, but they are individual every time. Yeah, that's a great metaphor when we're talking about the uniqueness and how is it going to be, but mm-hmm. what you're saying is like in the image of God, we're created uniquely and also the same, like mm-hmm. there's both. Like yeah, both are happening. There's things that apply to all humans, mm-hmm. and we're all an image of God, mm-hmm. maybe God being the same, and then and us all being different but then we're Mm -hmm. not so different from each other that we're absolutely unique and so that allows for saying true things about how we can live how we can love each other other things those are true across the board Mm -hmm. for us maybe Mm -hmm. they get applied uniquely but they're true across the board that's interesting and and we're
2: being invited to imitate christ paul says imitate me as i imitate christ and we're being called to be formed into the likeness of christ so in some sense We all have our own uniqueness, and yet we are all being invited into a conformity with the person of Jesus, who is himself the exact representation of God. He's the perfect picture. He's the perfect Dali image of God. And somehow, even in our own uniqueness, we're being invited into reflecting
1: Jesus in our daily lives. Van Gogh. I learned today was a missionary. Yeah, I did a couple of years as a Protestant Christian missionary in Southern Belgium. He was working as a missionary. Then he goes to study art and wants to do that. I mean, his dad was a pastor, son of a Dutch reformed minister, which maybe <laughs> there's some stereotypes around that. But it makes me think like later in life, like he was creating very, very unique things. But he wasn't so different from other people and, like, really needing his purpose. He was really struggling with his purpose later Mm -hmm. as he's painting Mm -hmm. these things Starry night and these other things. And when you read into his biography, he really wants the approval of other artists. He's really looking for friendships and looking for relationship. It looks like he feels very lonely. He writes to his brother a lot about his loneliness. And so he maybe is an interesting picture of someone that could create amazingly unique things, but also just like every single human being needed to know the guy that made him and be known and mm-hmm. also experience that community of other people. Uh, so not uniquely at all. Mm-hmm.
2: And it's very much out of his own suffering and struggle that he creates these beautiful things. And he, in his search for his identity, his search for God, even his art is as a product of that. And even for us, as we are seeking and struggling Maybe there's a reality that we're finding our purpose, even if we don't sense it. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad we could become an art podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this was great. Very, very highbrow. This was a great first episode for season eight, though. I'm super excited.
1: And this one was so visual, hard to do on audio. I yeah. feel like everyone's definitely going to have to check out the webpage to see some of the images that we're talking about. Absolutely. And it may be season eight,
2: but it's not unique because we're still doing Vice or Virtue. Microsoft Paint.
1: <laughs> oh, wow. The original digital artist. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. Just you and a machine making yeah. art together. Oh, man. <laughs> just you and Windows 3.1 making... Just, win- <laughs> just me using the mouse,
2: trying to get the <laughs> pixels just right. Oh, my gosh. I,
1: I mean, oh, I definitely did stuff in Microsoft Paint, though. That's amazing. We'd make bitmaps. Wasn't there part of Microsoft BMPs. Paint... that Yeah, BMPs. <laughs> Wasn't there part of Microsoft Paint, like, in Windows 95 or something that, like... I feel like there was a little thing you'd opened up and you can create patterns and like you turn off each pixel and then it would like fill the whole screen with that pattern. Like it was. Yeah, maybe. Does that make sense? Like, that it, like, sounds like It sounds about zoomed right. Into a square, you'd create but a you'd wallpaper, you'd have a grid, yeah. you'd create a wallpaper and you'd turn some on and turn some off and then it would create uh-huh. a pattern. And if you did a diagonal and a little square and then like zoomed uh-huh. it out to the whole thing, it had diagonal lines all the way across right, the screen. Right, right. So, like, <laughs> I liked playing with that. A lot. Like I remember, like just sitting all day, like trying to create patterns that would connect. And they looked like little Moorish scripts or something. I don't know, like little patterns across the thing. So I feel like that's where my artist career started. And obviously, it's going mm-hmm. to be—it's um, gone downhill from there. Con- well, no, it's going to be continuing with my new Dali art that I'll yeah, be selling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so obviously a virtue. I
2: remember similar 90s. I remember sitting with a friend at the computer back when computers were a social thing, apparently. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And mom, can we play computer? Yeah, right. right, right, right. (laughs) And we were making a map of some imagined world. And we were naming different parts of the different land masses. And one was... Like a
1: Lord of the Rings, though? Yeah, I think
2: probably so. But like a much worse Microsoft Paint I drew an island. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a jaggedy line. Yeah. This was probably around the time that I was enjoying SimCity, too. So, yeah. But like one region was called Compaq. And another region was called Presario. And Compaq? Compaq. Yeah, and I realized. Oh, but with a Q. Yeah, I realized that my friend was just like looking at the name on the side of the it computer. Was, it was the Compact Presario,
1: <laughs> right? Yes, which was like, it which was, was a well-known Radio Shack model <laughs> for like
2: computers back. Hey, man, then. That's what we had. I haven't moved up much since then, but that's, ner- uh, that's nerdy. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, deep cut. But <laughs> yeah, we just—I might have created some patterns at some point. I don't really remember. But man, that got tedious. Man, the art really does have to do with the tool. There was some
1: good stick figure art coming out of there. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, yeah now, right. now it can be like, Dolly, give me a Microsoft Paint right. uh, version of right, this. Right. And will what we you... in 20 years
2: be looking back at Dolly and be laughing like this?
1: Maybe. Wow. Mind blown. <laughs> that's scary. Well, I guess if people wanted to see our actual Dolly art not our Microsoft Paint art. Although they that should, might
2: be more interesting. Yes, You can go
1: to deviceandvirtue.com to see the Dolly art that we created for each other. Yes. And we'd love to see your original Dolly art, anyone that makes them. Yeah, and please I mean, send tw- it to us. Tweet at us at devicevirtue or yeah. Instagram to Post uh, yeah, it and right, tag right, us. Right, that would right.
2: be awesome. And you can check out our show notes image header as well because that'll be a Dolly generated image as well. Also, if you join us on Patreon, we'd love to hear from you. We're still planning future episodes, and we'd love to hear what episodes would be interesting to you. So patreon.com or deviceinvirtue.com. Wherever, wherever, <laughs> wherever you get your podcasts. Wherever you get your podcasts.